Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy, and the legend tour keeps going, guys. I keep telling you, I keep bringing on really cool people to have on my show, and thankfully, uh, I got these two guys to come on my show simply because I was on their show at the same time. That's my good friends, uh, Kennedy and Rob Temple. Kennedy, I don't know what your surname is, dude. I'm sorry. I don't have one. I'm I'm so poor that I only have one. It's name. like Adele. It's a bit like Adele or Madonna or or Cher. Queen. Share all the coolest people with the best hair. Just, just mononyms, man. That's what basically all it is. You, you're just like, I'm a mononym. That's all I really need. Is that the real technical term, a mononym? Yeah. I think that's the actual. Yeah, I think I, that's I, the actual. I've heard of other words. <laughs> <laughs> Shit face and cunt bag doesn't count. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> no, not really. Oh, God, I've actually, let's see, less than two minutes, I've already managed to drop a swear, <laughs> like a cuss word into that. And it is mononym. The word is mononym. But very quickly, uh, guys, just so you know, this episode is sponsored by responsesuite.com. Go there, check it out. Uh, Rob and Candy will tell you a little bit more about that in a moment. But also check out, uh, the show is also sponsored by Ordello. If you go to adelamarcy.com forward slash Ordello, they sort out all the podcasting for the show. Uh, upload it's actually brilliant for what they do and Josh is a freaking genius when it comes to creating software that just works really well door is constantly improving now that being said welcome to the show and the crazy times guys <laughs> um, so real quickly like I've got to ask right away because Rob you're a hypnotist yeah right how did you get into that and Kennedy I need to know more about what you do because honestly I've not really done a ton of research on that yet <laughs> So we are both entertainers, which is how we became friends a long, long time ago, like 17 years ago now. So I started off as a magician as a kid, uh, came through that route. I was this weird, uh, shy, quiet kid at school, didn't really fit in, found it hard to make friends. Typical entertainer. He's basically the same as that in the office now. (laughs) And I was in the other corner. And I came through that and uh, started doing magic, learned magic, uh, really took that seriously, as seriously as you can take magic. That's what I was going to do for a living. I wanted to be a magician. And then somewhere along the line found uh, hypnosis kind of learned that as a secondary skill and eventually doing them side by side for a few years they became um it became clear i wanted to be a hypnotist rather than a magician so still love magic still do it as a hobby and still go to magic societies and things but decided to pursue hypnosis and eventually uh, that led me to wanting to teach hypnosis and this whole online business thing that we'll, we'll talk about um kennedy's also an entertainer i'll let you take that one Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, there's a branch of magic called, uh, it's, in the magic world, it's called mentalism. And that's basically the person who's made that famous in the UK is a guy called Gavin Brown in the US. And they had the, the great Dunninger back in the day. And uh, basically, that's a bunch of skills which, in, which basically revolve around, rather than sleight of hand, it's a bit more like weird skills with your head. Uh, So I use psychology, I use body language, I read people, I use statistics, memory, and I wrap it all up in some kind of comedic sort of uh, camp romp through the mind, uh, which is entertaining mainly at conferences and on a couple of really high-end cruise ships, which I get to swan about on a little bit. As well as all of that, I also consult for television, for uh, magic shows, and anything to do with sort of psychology, mind-reading stuff for TV as well. So, and Rob and I, like like Rob said, we've both come sort of through that thing, and uh, we wanted to use our skills of understanding people and understanding the needs of business through understanding human beings in order to do something that was interesting and impactful for marketers and not just marketers but any but people who have a business and people who really care about 
about selling their product in a way that's really ethical through understanding their customers. And that's what it's really about. Like that idea, we talk about this all the time. We have this phrase in the office, which is blanket marketing is dead. Like get a whole bunch of people onto your list and then beat them over the head uh, until they buy one of your things. It's very difficult to do now. It's only going to get more and more difficult as the filters get more and more tricky. It's been that way for a really long time. And something it's one of the reasons why I really like Response Suite because um, a little fact that I don't think really many people know about is there was a little plug-in a couple of years ago called Pre-Sell Crusher, which was developed by myself and my business partner, Pat, um, that did a very rudimental version of what your guys thing does, mm-hmm. which is essentially what we do is we, we made sure that every bit of traffic that came in would go through like a miniature survey before they even got onto our mailing list. So like, tell us a little bit about yourself before you get there. And you're completely right. You need to segment down your mailing list in order for it to actually make sense. Otherwise, again, you're beating people over the head repeatedly with the same message. It's not going to fly. You know, and it's all about having opening up conversations to your customers. And that's what's really critical to the way that Response Suite's grown as a brand and as a company and why our customers, I think, love what we do is because that was the beginning point. That was the starting point pretty much of what we want to do with Response Suite. But then by talking to customers, by being personally involved in the customer service, by managing all customer service from here in our office, right here in the Northeast of England, Rob and I as the directors and founders of Response Suite get to see what customers want. And actually, it's really is an iceberg, isn't it? It's like we thought, okay, let's put people through a survey as they join our list. That's a really good way of building a segmented list. But actually, that's one of the, it's just one of the powerful ways you can use surveys. There's some even more powerful ones, which you look later further down the line. And that's not me teasing and say, hey, buy our awesome course. We don't have an awesome course. We don't even have a course to be awesome. But we'll <laughs> awesome. Of uh, course. But yeah, we'll, we'll share that, some strategies on how to do that. And actually the most powerful one, which we call the alpha survey. We'll talk about that today and share that with you guys. Oh, that's pretty badass. I was going to ask while well, you, because something about mentalism that always just gets me is, um, I love people like Banachek. I loved his stuff. He's really brilliant in the way that he does things. And I find a lot of mentalists kind of get misconstrued, but it's quite interesting to me. You you both went from entertainers to like marketers and business owners. And what was like the biggest feeling you guys had in transition? Um, What was like the biggest transition between the two for you? The biggest what, sorry? The transition between going from, uh, because I know Rob, you still go on stage. And I think Candy, you still go on stage as well. but you guys also balance being on stage with actually running a digital business. Like what's yeah. the transition? Like, so, I mean, it's interesting because being an entertainer, you do have lots of time sitting around. Of course it is a business. You have to run the business and get gigs and get good and rehearse and all those things. Um, but at the same time, there is lots of sitting around. Like the only quote unquote work that you do is, is primarily on stage. And when you're not on stage, again, it's mostly just answering emails, answering phone calls, doing some marketing stuff. Uh, but there, there was lots of time sat around. And I realized that if I, uh, you know, such would this doesn't happen if I got hit by a bus tomorrow like the whole business ends there's nothing left like that that's it and we both wanted to grow something that was bigger than ourselves didn't we and so I think a long time ago for me we both independently having been friends we both independently started this like business kind of marketing thing separately um I was living and working and performing in Greece at the time uh you were here and we were basically independently exploring this idea of selling stuff on the internet and, and having an online business. We both had expertise to share in various things. Uh, you know, like you've run courses about uh, persuasion and stuff like that. I was 
focused on selling uh, hypnosis training and eventually transitioned into actually teaching marketing itself. And then self-help. And then self-help where I am now. So I think we both just realized we have this thing to share, like as well as being on stage and hopefully giving people a great time and making them laugh and doing all that stuff. We realized that everyone has, you know, they say there's a book inside everyone. Well, we think there's info products probably inside everyone. And yeah. so that was, we wanted to get our info products out and, and share them with people and also build a business that was passive that would uh, make it easy for us to continue running a business if whatever reason you know I broke a leg let's be honest stage. there's only a there's a ceiling to what your earnings are if you're t you're trading that time for money which is why yep. so many of us are in the information marketing space where you create a thing once and you might have to put a bit, a bit of effort into that and create a really good thing but then you can sell it hundreds if not thousands and hundreds of thousands or millions of times whereas on the first of june rob you can only be on stage at one particular place earning yep. that particular amount of money that you've agreed is a fee. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's sort of that transition. But in terms of skill transition, yeah. well, it's really about communication. It's yeah. about understanding people and engaging people and getting people excited. And it's also, it's really about moving people through a process and taking them from one place that, where, where they start off. So they might come into a conference in my case, or like, yeah, all right, entertain me, monkey boy. And uh, I walk on and I have to turn them into so a bunch of people who care, who are engaged. And at the end of the time, or at the end of the day, have a, have a fantastic time and, and talk about it. And similarly, when people come and see Robert's theater show or they come and see, um, they, they go and see one of his shows at a university or a corporation, they go in going, oh, will this be good? Am I going to have a good time? And then by the end of it, and you tra literally transform people on stage, don't you? By They come up and they're like just some kind of Geordie woman who's like been, you know, working during the day and she had a lovely day. And then halfway through the show, she thinks she's Madonna or she's doing things we probably can't talk about on a, on a polite podcast such as this. I get stacks of people who come up to me after the show who've never seen me before. And they say, Do you know, what? I thought that was going to be shit, but I actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> yes. So that's that sort of whole thing. So I think truthfully, like, and if you look at the most successful marketers on earth i think that they are entertaining first oh always like, i mean like you can take re like if you nobody you could buy the the best course in the world as in the content is the best content imaginable but christ if it's dull and boring you're not going to watch it and you're not oh. going Agreed. And it's, it's a lot of collaboration in what we do as well. So, for example, Rob and I work together on writing Rob's UK Theatre Tour. You talked about Banachek, a very close friend of mine. Um, I worked on, on, on creating and writing Banachek's uh, theatre show for when he was in Las Vegas. The whole thing around entertainment, people see the person on stage. You might see your favourite comedian on stage delivering all their material, but actually there's a collaboration behind that that works really, really well. And that's often the case in marketing too because there are so many marketers who get into this. They see your favourite guru on that beautifully produced video walk around his mansion with his fabulous set of cars that he's got and you're like oh that's cool so it's just this guy uh, and his cameraman and that's his business so actually there might be a team of 30 or more people sitting behind that that you don't see that enable that person to do it and that's the things you don't see the only one of the big reasons that rob looks so successful and and is and is so uh, has, has such an encapsulating style on stage is because we have we travel on on the tour with a team of four people who make all that happen and they are there like half a day before we even get to the venue but so it's really interesting as marketers to think, who is my support team? So in the theater world, it's who's my lighting designer, who's my lighting guy, who installs all the equipment, who puts the backdrops in, who arranges the travel, all that stuff, the licensing, da, 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 da. Who is your team? Because truth is, the longer you believe that you, you can do this on your own, the longer you're going to hold yourself back because you need that support network in order to allow yourself the freedom to deliver really great quality stuff.
Oh, I agree entirely. Now, I want to take it back to something that Rob actually was saying right now, because I did have uh, an objection, but then I didn't want to stop you as well. So, Rob, you were saying essentially just like how people kind of step in, especially by creating an experience and being entertaining. One of the most, and I always look at it this way, one of the best books you could ever read, in my opinion, I'll always recommend is The 48 Laws of Power. And the reason is just simply, if you really understand that book for what it is, you can do almost anything. And one of the people that embodies that book so well is Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is like this, he's gone from, I'm in Ireland, no one really knows me, I'm living on welfare, to I'm fighting Floyd Mayweather for like 100 million to going to be this really wild, outrageous personality. Yeah. Sorry about that, by the way, guys. If you can hear that, that is my other cat, Luna. She decides to be an asshole today. So uh, you're going to hear that in the background. Like she wants to be cuddled. She's been cuddled, yet she still wants to be an asshole. <laughs> cats. Welcome, cat. I have two Bengals, so I don't have regular cats. I have like exotic bitches because that's me. Um, but as far as it goes, though, is um, as far as it goes with like someone like say Connor, he's extremely iconic in the way that he's brash. But what I want to inter- the way I want to interject to people is that you don't have to be as brash or as loudmouth or whatever it is. Entertaining could be someone like Kevin Hart, who's hilarious, or you can have someone. I like to say 2006 to 2012 Frank Kern, Surfer Frank, was probably like the pinnacle of entertaining business kind of modeling from that. And I think that's important to know. Like being entertaining doesn't mean you have to be a comedian or you have to tell jokes all the time. I think being entertaining is, and there's a big, there's a fine line between, Oh, there's a similarity, I think, between being entertaining and being engaging. It's kind of all the same thing for me. You want somebody to be able to read a blog post from you where you're probably not going to use jokes. You're probably not going to use throwaway comments in quite the same way you would on a video, but just the language is quirky. People read it. And even if it didn't have your name or your branding on it, people would kind of know it was written by you. Like mm. you really just want to make sure, again, it doesn't it's have cool. to have, you know, you know, your sales video doesn't have to start with a knock-knock joke. It just has to have some <laughs> sort of engagement in it that has, that has a, just a bit of personality to it. And I think if you can just, if, if people can learn or can find a way to just inject their natural personality the way they would be. Because everyone, everyone on earth has that, that person in their life who is just funny and engaging, and everyone says, oh, Derek, Derek should be a comedian. Oh, he's great, <laughs> Derek. Yeah. And it doesn't mean he'd ever actually be a comedian, but he just has a bit of, a, a bit of good crack about it. And, you need to, and every, we all have that bit of good crack, and we have to just find a way to inject it into, into what's going on. Oh, most definitely. That's something I want to ask both of you because I'm going to step off camera just for a minute to like find out what's really going on with my cat. But um, I was going to ask very quickly, as far as it comes down to uh, being able, this kind of question both. So like Rob, it's like being able to take someone's mindset from what, what they believe and hypnotize them into believing something completely different in a matter of moments. Um, and Candy, as a mentalist, how to actually not really convince or persuade anyone to do something, but Rob, well, I guess persuasion, I guess. But like, how to persuade someone to actually change their linear thinking in a moment? Like, what is it that you guys do that actually does that in its respective elements? So, like, Rob, how do you do it with hypnosis, and Candy, how do you do it with mentalism? Sure. I think with most things, it's about with hypnosis. It's certainly about reframing people's perspectives. So, if people come into into a show thinking that I'm going to be there with a goatee beard and a swinging pocket watch, and I'm going to have some power over a load of people then they are, they've got the wrong perspectives. Like they've got the misconceptions from the films that I've never seen, but I've heard about from like the 50s. And that means that they are totally just misconstruing what's going to happen. So it's just about reframing what people expect to happen. 
And then when you reframe what people expect to happen, then you can suddenly, like, I think it's okay to stop people in their tracks and say, you know, you're probably expecting this, but that's not what's going to happen. So in the early parts of my show, if I was hypnotizing somebody one-on-one, one of the first things I would do is say, look, hypnosis isn't what you think it is. At no point are you going to be unconscious. At no point are you going to pass out. At no point are you going to be properly asleep. In fact, you're going to be more aware of everything that's going on around you. And when people hear that, they say, oh, I'm going to be more aware. And I explain what that means. I, you know, I explain that when you're hypnotized, you are more fully aware of everything that's going on around you. And suddenly that reframes it. It means that they now know what to actually expect. And then that means I can start to take them on the journey that I need to take them on to get them to where they want to be. So I think that's how it works for me. And, and for me, what, what it's really about is it's about meeting them in a place that they feel is fair and starting off with a place of agreement. So whenever you're going to try and do something, whether it's mentalism, which is mind magic type stuff, or your, your sort of more traditional magic is you have to create the environment where people believe they are being treated fairly. And that's the same in marketing, right? So um, if I was doing some kind of thing where I said, I want you to think of any word in the world. And I said to you, just think of the word and I tell you the word that feels very fair. Whereas if I say, I've got two words on this piece of paper, think of either one of them and then point to it while I look out of the corner of my eye, you're going to probably think that wasn't very fair. So, which means you're not going to come along that journey with me and experience anything interesting. You're not going to experience anything which, is, which has any wonder in it. And you're certainly not going to be transformed from one place of skepticism to a place of believing and actually investing in it, which is again, another great parallel with marketing, you have to take a person from a place where they know, hey, I'm reading a sales page right now because folks, they know they're reading a sales page. And so we have to take them from a place of going, right, this thing is going to try and sell me something. So let's have a look at, so I'm going to cross my arms and close up my brain. Um, you know, I'm skeptical because everything on the internet is obviously a scam. <laughs> so I'm reading that. And then we have to take from that, people from that place of skepticism to understanding that we understand and then through to places of, okay, now I understand why this is important to me. Now I'm going to create some kind of, some sort of focus around a problem. And again, this is the same in theater. This is the same in a, in a, in a, in a magic show, a mentalism show, a hypnosis show. There is tension and that tension in marketing is between you, uh, between the person and their problem that they're facing. And then you're going to take that entire arc through to actually I'm invested in this thing. I'm emotionally invested. Now I want to find out what the solution is. And the solution might be that climax of the routine where I figure out what the person's thinking, or I prove that I predicted what they're going to do. It might be the moment when they start dancing like Elvis Presley, or it might be the moment when they actually invest in that product and go, this is the thing I really need right now to help me to move to that next level. So, I mean, a really good book uh, to recommend, it would be uh, The Anatomy of a Story. If you've not read that book, The Anatomy of a Story, it's a phenomenal book, not particularly for marketers. In fact, not for marketers at all. It's for writers, but yep. I think, as marketers, if we become better writers, we become better speakers, we become better presenters, we, we are able to structure ourselves and the stories we tell in such a better way that's more compelling and brings people along for that journey. Because as soon as we emotionally engage with somebody in a story, then we really are talking about that higher level, that next level of marketing. I mean, yeah. I think in both entertainment forms, it's about objection handling. It's about the moment people come in, they've got a whole bunch of misconceptions. They've got a whole bunch of preconceptions. If they've never seen you before, obviously neither of us are famous like this. We don't have thousands, millions of people who've seen us on television. It's literally about, about handling their objections immediately. Is this going to be yeah. good or is this, gonna, is this going to be shit? And then you have to handle that objection. And the same thing happens in marketing and everything you say has to, has to do that. 
Yeah, exactly. It's one of the reasons why the structure of what I teach, as I said on your, you know, guys, if you really want to hear this out, go to your podcast, which is too much. You'll find it if you go to blog.responsesuite.com forward slash 006. Straight to adult. Yeah, that'll get me, that'll get you to my episode where I think we discuss this in much more in-depth way of how I actually use stories inside my sales pieces and what I teach to my clients and teach to my customers and students. The reason is quite simply this, as Candy so eloquently put it, like nailed it on the head, um, is you essentially want, if you can communicate better, like a a good story writing can communicate amazingly well, guess what? You now have the ability to influence the masses in a whole different way that they're not used to. And this new way of influencing people is through using an old technology, which is stories. And so by communicating better, you don't have to sell so much. It's just more or less that it's taken care of inside the piece of the story, which is amazing. It totally is. I mean, this all goes back to Eric's, and if you read anything about Ericksonian hypnosis, this was basically using stories as metaphors to create huge transformation and change in people. So people would go to see Erickson as the sort of founder of modern hypnotherapy, and they'd sit down with him, and they thought they were going to have a swinging pocket watch. They thought they were going to have, be put into a trance and be, fall asleep and listen to his deep soothing voice and people would come out and say well what happened and they'd say oh well he just sort of talked to me and told me some weird stories but somehow I feel better so it's really interesting that you can by telling those stories you can actually move people through those things and get them to connect with things in their lives without them even knowing because the great thing about stories is we love hearing them they usually start off with some really key interesting, which hooks you in, gets attention, which is what you want in any piece of marketing anyway. And it moves you through things emotionally that allow you to connect with things without even realizing you're doing it. Yeah. And allow you to look inwards and go, oh, maybe that's interesting. I feel, I feel differently about that thing now. Yeah. Something I'm going to say that a lot of people kind of give me shit for in my real, in like my day to day life. I still find it funny. It's one of the reasons why I still class Keanu Reeves as probably one of the best actors I've ever seen. The reason is he takes on the role. If you look at any role he takes on, his demeanor is that of an everyman. And he does do that quite well. Like, for instance, if you look at one of his iconic roles as, say, Neo from The Matrix, his character is, I'm an everyman. I have this kind of tonality. It's how I see the world. I'm I'm misanthropic. If you see him in someone like, say, Bill and Ted, his entire demeanor is different as it is in John Wick. His demeanor is, um, I remember, I can't remember which critic said this best, but they were like, one thing I love about Keanu Reeves is that he basically, when you watch his movie, it's as if you can put on the mask of Keanu and live through the sequence of what he's doing on screen as if it was you. And that's the key, in my opinion, to a good sales pitch, is being able to encapsulate someone and take them through the idea of the story and get them there. And another story, I would definitely, another book that I would recommend as well is Winning the Story Wars. Um, if you guys haven't read that, I definitely recommend it. It's a brilliant book on it, um, on how stories are basically created inside publications and marketing events and stuff like that. So that book is more for marketers, but it's also for people who want to brand themselves. Wow. Um, and something I will say right now as well, sorry, just like this is all clicking in my head. I'm like, crap, I've got so much I want to tell these guys. Um, especially because you guys like really inspired me to go there. Um, one of the key things I tell every one of my students to go read, uh, the, the set list I send them as soon as they join with me and you know work with me as like I'm their mentor, is the first thing they get is they get a copy of the 48 Laws of Power, which I've already discussed, but they also receive a copy of Chris Carter's book, The Crucifix Killer, 
Great book, by the way. Absolutely had me hooked in. I, I read this book in two days, and I'm dyslexic and slow as shit when it comes to reading books. <laughs> um, and the third is to spend six hours on YouTube watching the Gears of War 1, 2, and 3 cutscenes. And the reason is, and it's going to sound really strange, if you're not into war games and stuff like that, that's fine. But watch this from the perspective of story, because the way they kill off, they kill off multiple characters as they do. But the way they kill off characters is so emotionally inside of you that you feel that you are within the game, that you feel that you are one of the characters that's just felt this loss. It's so well done in that way. So what you guys are saying about, what was it, Exonian um, technologies being used in stories to keep moving forward and how um, stories actually disarm us entirely and take us through this journey. Studying stories and recreating and then reverse engineering all the elements into your own business is one of the easiest ways that you can actually understand story very quickly. And very few people do it. It, it just, totally is. And one of the, um, I think Robbie, you want to talk about this. One of the, I think one of the only most, the, more, the only more powerful thing than a story is a story where you get to choose your own ending. Remember those books where you could like, you could, you start reading the book and then you go, and if you think you took the left path, turn to page 72. If you took the right path, you turn to page 86. Yeah. I think remind me of my childhood right here, man. Uh, that and painting by numbers. Um, <laughs> yeah. The moment somebody gets the chance to like to, to to know that something is unique to them and that they are part of it, then it's instantly. I mean, it has to be more engaging. It has to be more interesting to them. And as marketers, we have to be able to give people the ability to do that at every step because there's nothing worse than. I mean, just a simple example is like, you know, if if you're um, if you're sending somebody emails for example and your email says uh if you are da, 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 then this is definitely for you and you suddenly start when, whenever you read something that's kind of blanket like that you kind of just instantly feel like this isn't a path that i am only on by myself this isn't a journey this guy isn't only to this girl isn't only speaking to me and it just it dilutes the power of what you're saying i think the moment you sort of take that step back and it's an admission of i'm just kind of sending this in the hope that somebody might be interested and and i think that, the, that there's there's too much of that in marketing it's not completely avoidable um but i think if, if you can allow people to follow that through their own path through your business and have a relatively bespoke route I mean, it can't be completely bespoke because there's only so many things they can do, but a relatively bespoke route. And I think it really changes the dynamic for them. It really uh, increases their engagement level and their commitment level to want to hang out with you and continue to, to read your stuff and buy from you. So I think it's, it's, you know, eminently powerful. And do you know what's just amazing is that so many of us think that when somebody opts into our list, we suddenly know loads of things about that person. Yeah. We don't. The only thing we know about that person is they wanted exactly the thing that they opted in for at that moment. Beyond that, we actually don't know very much. Like they might have opted in for an SEO checklist. So you might now it's easy to assume that that person's interested in SEO services. They've probably got some kind of website that they want to they want to use and get SEO on. So you should follow up with them and offer them this huge banana blitz course about SEO. I think I'm going to name my SEO course Banana Blitz SEO. It's just, because, <laughs> just an FYI. There you go. That's for you. That's for you. Um, so, uh, but that's such a mass assumption. The truth is they could be looking for anything. They might be thinking, I need a traffic source to add to what I'm already doing. I don't know what it should be. Let's take a look at SEO. So they might not even be there on the journey yet. They might be, there are so many different reasons. I think, I think if you think of all the different people who might want that SEO checklist, if it appears in their Facebook newsfeed or on Google ads or whatever, and they click on it and they get through, it could be like you say, somebody who's just thinking, well, is SEO a viable additional traffic source? 
it could be somebody who owns a, a marketing agency who's looking to find out what is out there or looking to start a marketing agency. At the same time, equally, it could be somebody who is, uh, they, they have an online business, they've heard about SEO and they kind of think, well, I just need to find out what it is. Like it's, it's impossible to assume that just because they opted in for a thing about it, they want to buy the whole course on it. It could be that checklist is the only thing they'll ever need about SEO because it's not a big part of their strategy. It might be enough for them to realize, actually, no, I don't need SEO. This is far too much bloody hard work. I, mean, I don't want to do it. Can you imagine how many people opt in for something like it? That's a great example. Something like an SEO checklist. And they read it and they go, backlinks and offsite and onsite and all this stuff. I mean, I, I personally know almost nothing about SEO because I've chosen not to learn it. But um, <laughs> if you take somebody who, who gets to the end of that and they go, oh, oh, this is too much work, but I'm a ninja at Facebook ads. I'm going to stick to that. Then, and then you're going to bang them over the head for the next nine months trying to sell them your SEO course. Like, it doesn't matter how much you hit them over the head, they're not going to buy it. And that's why at that point, I think it's a pretty good point to, to share people the method that we actually use yeah. in order to, to do something with those people. So it, we believe there's a thing you should, add, you should absolutely be adding into every single one of your sequences or campaigns when people join. So let's imagine you've done a squeeze page or some kind of way of generating a lead, whether that's a free flush shipping, whatever your webinar registration, whatever it might be, your front end, you've got a new person on your list. Every time a new person joins our list, what we want to do is have that person join our list. That's great. And then we want to have them take a survey afterwards, right? Mm -hmm. Not on the front end. We've actually found through our personal testing that putting people through a survey at the front end which was our initial idea for response read has far less far, far like a tenth if that like 10 percent if like if that response rate compared to putting getting people onto your list with some simple information such as you know what's your name and what's your email address or if you really want to go you know really lean on it just your email address remember every we've been told for years every question that we ask people on a opt-in reduces our it reduces the number of people who join our list we don't want to do that we do want to qualify them but we don't want to reduce the number the other thing is i think the moment you ask a question as part of the opt-in process it becomes a little bit obvious that you are um digging for something yeah yeah and the way that we position the survey after the opt-in, we'll talk about in a second, much more comes from a place of giving than it does from a place of, I need to know about you. Yeah, because on the front end, it's like, hello, what's your name? What's your email address? And what do you need help with right now? And it's like, hang on. You're basically saying, and what can I sell you in a minute? So it's yeah. really obvious. So the number of people who are going to see that on the front end, and it's been taught left, right, and center. I totally get that. Some people have had great success with it. We couldn't make it work quite as well. Uh, is to actually ask those things. And really, if you just get the opt-in because they wanted the thing, they wanted the checklist, they wanted the book, whatever it is. And then the next thing you do is say, hey, we're putting together some new training. So just be upfront. We're putting together some new stuff. We want to know how we can serve you best whenever you're approaching. And that's dead vague. You don't say it's a paid, pro I, I'm, not, I'm not working on a new coaching program. I'm not working on a new product. It's literally, I'm working on some new training. Let them work out what it is. Is it a free thing? Is it going to be a paid product? Like it doesn't matter at this point. You're just saying I'm working on some new stuff and I want to know what you want to know. So I've put together a really short survey. It's got like three questions in it and uh, four questions in it. And they're just multiple choice. Go take it. And now the people are using, if they've joined lists before, let's face it, they've joined lists before probably. Usually at that point, rather than asking, rather than expecting you to ask for their opinion through a survey, they're expecting to be sold to. Guess what you've done? You've booked the trend. You've stood out in their inbox. You've done something different. And so they're now like, hang on, this person cares about what I want to do. I'm now on a choose my own adventure story. 
That's quite interesting. And people are half doing this anyway. Like there's millions of businesses around the world are once a year, once a fortnight, once a month, whenever they can be asked, they're running a survey to their list. Uh, so they, they, they create a survey, they send it out to their list, people respond to the survey, all that data gets filed away in the survey application. And then once uh, again, whenever they can be bothered, they'll download the data, put it in Excel. We know how pretty that is. They'll sort it into like different bits and they'll sort of pay attention. They'll go, okay, great. So a bunch of my list wants this, a bunch of my list wants that, a bunch of my list wants the other. What's the biggest? chunk okay yeah, but the problem with all of that rob is and as we discovered is if you're only doing it once a year or once every six months if you're really advanced quote unquote advanced is that means there's a possibility that for five and a half months no somebody a lot of people didn't get asked a question because you're only doing it you not if it's not part of a campaign that you put people straight into you're not segmenting them at all so when you look at it like that you realize well marketers are kind of half doing it anyway a lot you know lots of people aren't and if you if you should be that's better than nothing um but the problem with it is that as you're going along that way you have to constantly be downloading the data, sorting it, doing something with it to work out what to do with it. And we realized that just by putting it in that initial follow-up sequence, that initial campaign, a separate campaign, so that regardless of how people join your list, they go through it. The great thing about putting it there is from an audience's perspective, obviously when people get your emails, they don't know whether they're broadcasts or campaigns or follow-ups or whatever. All they know is, oh, this guy's emailed me or this girl's emailed me. And so what you can do is it's effectively mimicking what the, what businesses are doing by running sporadic surveys every now and then, but it means it's consistent. It means it's powerful. It means everyone who ever joins your list, the first thing that's going to happen is, oh, they just happen to have dropped into your business at exactly the right time to take part in this, in this survey that you're running. So it's what do really you do powerful. once you've taken the survey? There's two things you want to do. Well, actually, there's three things you want to do. Depending on their answer to the survey, what we like to do is we want to tag them because our surveys integrate with response suite. They integrate with your email marketing platform, your autoresponder, so your, you know, your, your MailChimps of this world or ActiveCampaign Infusionsoft, whatever you're using. We integrate with those things, which means if somebody says, hey, right now what I really need help with is, let's say the weight loss niche, right? Really easy one, everybody understands. What I really want to do right now is lose weight, okay? You're, you're, and I'm also male. I'm male and I want to lose weight. So now in my CRM, in my Infusionsoft, I tag them with male, weight loss. So now the promotions they get from this day on are only for men who want to lose weight. I don't send them any of the build muscle or any of the train for a special event or uh, any of my uh, regenerative stuff regenerative stuff or um, I want to keep my weight off and keep healthy while I'm having my baby or whatever it's going to be at the pregnancy programs um, there's, there's none of those things whereas uh, somebody else who comes through who selects different options will will end up on a completely different path and that means okay let's give the ridiculous crazy example we often use normal system that most marketers use by not doing this thing called the alpha survey right at that moment at the beginning of the funnel this is what happens let's imagine i'm in the diy niche and i sell shed plans i sell gardening. loft uh, gardening stuff and something about another product about loft conversions right so i opt in for a thing which tells me about something i want to know about that's cool the first campaign and just to bear in mind there, most people's like lead magnets and stuff are usually pretty generic. So somebody might opt in and it might be like the ultimate toolbox swipe file. And it just tells them all the tools that a good DIYer should have. And that, that means nothing about what they want there. Right, right. So the first campaign that I receive when I get on there is I receive a cool thing about shed plans. The thing is, I'm not interested in shed plans. I'm interested in how to convert my loft into a new study or a new office and a new office that I want to have at home. So I'm getting like 20 emails over 20 days or less, 20 days of stuff about something I'm not interested in. 
And then, so that was the shed plans one. And I stick around, I think, okay, this will be over quite soon. And I sort of, and I stop opening the emails. I see the subject lines and I stop disengaging. So now that's why your engagement, that's why your open rate is through the floor. That's why your click-through rate is completely gone to shit because you're sending irrelevant emails. So, but it's okay. Cause now the shed plans, the, the, yeah, yeah, the shed plans things come to an end. That's great. Now I'm going to tell, now I'm getting emails about this awesome decking thing that I can put in my garden. You can build this beautiful decking in your garden. Well, I don't want decking for my garden. I want to convert. I want to do a loft conversion. So now I've got 20 more emails, 20 more days of emails about decking for my garden. If I survive those 40 days on the list without unsubscribing or filtering it away, which is worse than unsubscribing, then eventually I'll see the offer for the loft conversion and I might buy if I've made it. However, the chances are most people won't make it. That is all solved if at the beginning you say, hey, what do you want to help with right now? Do you want to help with sorting out your garden? Do you want to help with building a shed? Do you want to help with converting your loft? I mean, what we know is that traffic is getting more expensive. It's getting harder and harder if you buy traffic. It's getting harder and harder to recoup your initial investment in that traffic. Like so many people, millions of businesses all over the world are learning to buy. They've learned Facebook ads in the Facebook ads heyday. Um, I got into this a bit too late for the Google AdWords heyday. I missed that. But the Facebook mm -hmm. heyday, whenever, where traffic was cheap and conversions were high and there was not that many people doing it. And now more and more people are buying traffic. Their quote-unquote tripwire offers aren't liquidating. They're not the self-liquidating offers that they're promised to be. And they can tweak the copy all they want. And still, it just, it's just a bit of a numbers game. It's just hard to make that balance. And I think that... Um, the, the quickest job, the, the most important thing you need to do in order to keep a business alive is to be able to grow your business at a profit and recoup that initial investment. And having that, that ability to make sure you're making the perfect offer at the perfect time is obviously the exact way to do it. So that's why we also put in a feature called the Smart Redirect. Yep. which basically means that the moment somebody opts in for the survey, not only do you put them onto an email list and sell them a thing, but you also take them to a thank you page where you offer them the perfect thing. So one of the things that uh, Frank Kern talked about years ago is that if you put a paid product behind us, in fact, you released a course on it. If you put a paid product behind a survey, it releases, it removes the pitch from the pitch a little bit. It takes the sting. Obviously, the more you pitch people, the less goodwill there is and stuff. And he yeah. said, if you basically wrap it behind the survey, then it's sort of like, well, for two reasons. First of all, it, oh, well, you know, they showed an interest in me and therefore that was nice. Therefore I like them and they're all oh, a pitch. Or uh, you can also, as we know, uh, to a certain extent, the more you pitch people, you just have to find different reasons for doing it. So it could be, it's Mother's Day, here's a sale. It's Wednesday, so here's a sale. You know, like there's loads of different things. But I yeah. think that if you say, well, thank you for taking the survey and to thank you for taking the survey, have a 20% discount on this thing. Works really well. So uh, making an offer immediately after a survey makes sense. It doesn't even, so, so basically now you can push them in the direction of offering them a product related to what they said in the survey. If you want to go really ninja on it and where we found really good results, if you've got like one core offer, like a membership program or um, a, a coaching program, if you put them into a page where the copy that sells that thing, the sales video or the sales letter that sells that thing is just approaching it from the angle that they selected in the actual thing itself. So for example, if you sell email marketing training, you ask them a question like, what's your biggest obstacle with email marketing right now? Uh, it might be that the answer is um, getting people to open my emails. It could be stopping people from unsubscribing. It could be coming up with compelling subject lines. Well, it's probable that you handle all those things in your course. So now you can make sure that on the sales page, you sell your course from the angle they picked on the survey. And then uh, like we did it on a really uh, ninja level. We found a really cool thing, just a little, I'll throw this in there. Uh, when somebody registers for a webinar, 
uh, one of the questions you can you can put them through a so they've just registered for the webinar. You say, hey, thanks for registering for the webinar. I'm going to send all the details to your inbox. In the meantime, take a look at this survey uh, and make sure that we can you know adapt the webinar content to suit you. People fill out the survey, and one of the questions again is, what's your biggest obstacle right now? So is it in our case we're teaching email marketing? Is it uh, low unsubscribes? Is sorry high unsubscribes? Uh, is it low open rates? Low click through rates? Is it uh, coming up with ideas, etc.? And we're going to teach all those things on the webinar. So a little ninja thing, when somebody goes ahead and registers for that webinar and then they fill out that survey, in the page that they would take them to and in the email follow-up sequence, we can include a little sentence that says, oh, we noticed that you said your biggest obstacle was X, Y, Z. Don't worry, we're definitely going to cover that on the webinar. And we are because we're going to cover all of those things. But can you imagine if you register for a webinar, fill out a quick survey, and you receive an email immediately afterwards that says, uh, you know, sorry, a day later as part of that show-up sequence that says, hey, uh, we noticed in the survey you said that you need help with this thing. Don't worry, that's going to be covered on the webinar. That you really, really helps. specifically to their need. Yep. And this, this is a technique that we call mass personalization. It's about taking people through their choose your own adventure thing because this idea like we keep saying is mass marketing that sort of blanket marketing is dead it's all about this mass personal personalization where people get to choose where they're going yeah entirely and people get that completely wrong like 90 percent of the time which is why i'm sure. glad that you guys are doing what you're doing and it's really interesting that you guys should, i'm thankful that you guys shared the fact that how you guys survey your list after they popped it in because that right there is so powerful and something I'm actually going to be adapting into my own email sequence. Um, so that way I can actually split up my entire list and know exactly what they're looking for. It's a lot simpler that way. I think, I think the first step <laughs> is just take a step back at you from your business. Everybody take a step back from your business and realize that it's easy when you, when you design a funnel of products, it's easy for you to make the assumption that you know why somebody opted in for your free thing or why somebody registered for that webinar because of the headline. I wrote the copy for the landing page or I worked with the copywriter who helped me create the landing for that, for the, the copy for that landing page. I know what they wanted, but the only thing you know for sure right now is that the thing they wanted right there and then at that very moment was that landing page, but you yeah. don't particularly know the motivation behind why they wanted it. They, like there's all these questions. And the other thing is like, we've got a friend who teaches salsa dancing. So we've got an online program teaching salsa dancing. And think about it. He teach, he's got programs that are for beginners, got programs for intermediates and programs for advanced. Great. But what if the free giveaway he gives away, and I don't know what it is, but off the top of my head, if it's something to do with like the footwork of something, that's going that, that, you know, this little footwork technique that'll make your salsa dancing at 22 times better. That's going to apply for everyone, wherever they're at, even the advanced people want to get better. So if somebody opt in for that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they, you know, whether they're beginner, intermediate, or advanced. So there's loads of questions you can ask in the survey. You basically need to decide what is the key def defining piece of information that you need to know about your list that in future will aid you to sell them the right things. And it could be how much money they've got to invest. It could be where they live, it, uh, de you know, demographic stuff. It could be, uh, you know, what gender they are. It could be what experience level they've got. It could be their interest. It could be their obstacles. And you need to decide what's that key piece of information that you want to segment on. There could be more than one. You can yeah. segment, you know, you could tag people based on a whole bunch of different things. And I think the key to all of this is to make sure you're doing it as part of a campaign, not as a broadcast. Yeah. You're doing it as a broadcast, you are missing people and totally missing the point. You can see now why there are huge holes in those businesses which are plugged if you drop surveys which are outwardly connecting to your autoresponders into I mean, a campaign i mean let's think about it let's imagine you run a survey to your list the old-fashioned way the way that doesn't really work anymore and people fill it out and then you go in and you sort all the results and you say okay great so what i can see from this is that uh okay 40 percent of people like italian food 
Uh, 20% of people like French, I'm going to have to do the math quickly, I'll, I'll like French food, that's 40 and 20, that's 60. Uh, 10% like something else. And if I remember, if I think rightly, that leaves another 20%. 40, 60, 70, really? 80. 30. 30% 30 left. Yeah, 30% left. So you look at that, you've got 40, 20, 10, and 30. Well, what the only logical thing you can do in that scenario is to say, okay, great, what did 40% of people want? I think I said Italian. Mm -hmm. And then you make an Italian thing and you sell it to your entire list. But you don't know who those people are. You don't know who that 40% are because then you know, most survey platforms don't integrate. Uh, and what you do know is that therefore 60% of your list, and nobody thinks about this, but 60% of your list didn't want the thing that you are now going to send out to 100% of your list because 40% of your list wanted it. But the only thing you can do in your head, and I've, I've done this in the past before we had response week, and almost every scenario when I look back at the numbers, I was actually mailing a smaller segment of my list, but it was the largest individual segment. And it's easy for us to get caught up in the, wow, 40% of people want this thing. It's very, very rare that you'll get a, well, 80% of my list wanted a thing. It's Whereas if you plug in a survey platform, which actually, in, which actually individually segments people, you can offer Italian food to the 40% of the people. So you know 100% of the people that you mail about the Italian offer want that. And then 100% of the people you, you mail about the Spanish tapas menu they, they want all of that stuff. Then you can email the Spanish tapas people or the French people and say, well, this is a bit like, this Italian food's a bit like the French food and a bit like it's one, maybe not. But you get the idea, you know, you can offer exactly the right thing to the right people, but you can't do that as a one-off broadcast. You can't, you can't, because you have to download the data and sort it and re-upload it into your autoresponder without getting banned by the autoresponder. Like you've got to, you've got to do that, but you can't, the process of doing it sporadically just doesn't work. Yeah, I agree with you entirely. It's just you have to keep it consistent. And again, as Candy said, it has to be inside your sequence. And if you want to do this, as I would suggest, mail your existing list as is, and then integrate that email into your sequencing. Because that way you're actually getting both sides of the, of the field. 100%. Like you might as well start doing it. Like initially, absolutely do it to your entire list. I was talking to somebody the other day who's just signed up with Response Suite and they said, can, well, can I use this for my existing list? I said, yeah, yeah, like broadcast the hell out of your existing list. And the nice thing about it is because, again, because of the autoresponder integration, the moment they take the survey, regardless of what their answers are, the moment they take the survey, you know they've taken it. So you don't have to send it to them anymore. So that's really nice as well. Uh, again, back in the day, like eight years ago, when I first started doing this, I was using a different survey platform and uh, I just had to email everyone on my list and people would fill out the survey and I'd email my entire list again to catch people who didn't fill it out and I get hey, angry. if you haven't filled out the survey yet there's people going I filled it on day one. I got angry replies like at hate mail, at hate mail, uh, angry replies saying I filled it out yesterday did it not work and you just look incompetent that way I think so yeah so yeah. make sure make sure the moment you start doing it make sure you take you stop broadcasting to them as you would if somebody bought a product you wouldn't mail them about that product anymore hopefully uh, so again just do the same thing about the survey that's excellent so something i want to ask especially with this segment of my show is asking if i guess there's two of you so we're going to get two separate hopefully two separate uh, answers on this but if you could name three books that have been really influential to your life and bear with me there are parameters to this the book's simply this Two of them have to be nonfiction, and the third book has to be either a fictional book or a movie, and they've inspired you or impacted you in some way in your life. What would they be? Uh, my first nonfiction really allowed me to understand that I wasn't alone in this whole weird world that we live in, and that is, because I, I quote it all the time, and that's The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. The reason we get in, and he talks about, he talks about the fact we get into this as the technicians of what we want to do. We want to be entertainers or we want to, we want to communicate this stuff or teach this stuff. And what happens is we all end up 
doing the finances. We end up being the marketer. We end up doing the, the, the branding. We end up doing so many other things, which are not the thing we want to do. So the E-Myth by Michael Gerber is one of mine. Rob, do you have your first one? Yeah, and it's very generic. It's going to be one of the popular answers, I think. I think a long time ago, I read The 4-Hour Workweek. Um, and that changed everything about, originally I started building a business and because I wanted it to work and I struggled online for a long time, like most people do, um, for like four years of not making any money. And that's a really long time. And, um, I wanted to, I, I built a business that probably sacrificed my lifestyle stuff because I wanted to make money because like, I needed to make money. Like, so I would take on, uh, I would take on, um, take on projects that were going to consume too much time for the money they would make, or they were going to require too much uh, input from me for the money they could put like the maximum money they could possibly make. So I think I sacrificed a lot of that. I didn't learn to like work to the hours I wanted to work. I was very much, I wasn't, I was very flexible, far more flexible than I should be. So I think when I read that and gave myself permission to be a bit more like locked down and a bit more like uh, no no that's my rules and you know if you can't have a call with me in that time then it doesn't really work then you know that I was had the permission to be a bit more of a not a dick but a bit more like you know just a to bit more how structured yeah. what you do yeah, yeah. Uh, for me I had I went through a period of being absolutely obsessed with copywriting and I know you're a guru in that space so you'll maybe appreciate that or maybe disagree with it um one book that really set me on the path for all of my sales direct response stuff was the ultimate sales letter by Dan Kennedy Great book. It was hugely influential to me. I still think a lot of that stuff while needs tweaking for the modern day approach is hugely relevant. So for me, that was a huge one. Agreed. Yeah. I also, I think my second one would probably be, um, flipnosis by Kevin Dutton. Great book. Really underrated. Um, again, I actually have it up on my shelf right now. I'm just looking at them. Yeah, it's probably one of my absolute favorites uh, in terms of uh, in terms of that sort of genre. Yeah, big, big, big deal for me. And for me, the, the fiction piece is going to be a movie. It's going to be the movie Sliding Doors. And the reason it's Sliding Doors for me is because Sliding Doors really explores the what if people take people take different paths. And I'm obsessed with what I call contingency marketing. I'm obsessed yep. with considering. Yeah, but what if they don't? So what I really want them to do is turn up to the webinar, but yeah, what if they don't? What if they turn up to the webinar and they buy, and what if they don't? What if they, so sliding doors really allows you, so I'm obsessed with what if they don't. And that, I think I come from my background as the, as the mentalist, as the mind reader guy, because my whole thing is I want them to do certain things in my show. Yeah, but what if they don't? How do I deal with if it doesn't work? Contingency if it doesn't go through. Contingency. And those skills pull straight through. So for me, it's sliding doors. So I read quite a lot, but uh, I don't read a lot of fiction stuff. As a because I, I like obviously we're limited in time, so I prefer to put it towards learning now. As a kid growing up, um, my friend at school got it's the hungry caterpillar, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's always the hungry caterpillar. You can never read that book. Go through the thing. Um, no, my uh, my friend at school got me into the Discworld series by Terry Pratchett. Ah, and excellent. I, and yeah, so I read those as a kid. Um, but I mean, I'm talking when I was like 12, 11, 12. And I, I've, so I've always like in, in our friendship and in our business relationship, I've always been the, like the big dreamer. Like I think like, oh, but you know, this can be massive. And you're a bit more like realistic and pragmatic. And we meet in the middle somewhere, which yeah. it works quite well. Sort of balances, cancels each other out. Um, no balance. All balances each other out. Yeah. And I think, and I, and I think that for me, like, 
as a kid um so i'm still quite i still have like big dreams and big visions now like i always see everything in bright colors and have this really real imagination and i think um terry patch's Discworld series did a lot for that like the fantasy i'm not i'm not not particularly into fantasy books and films like now i wouldn't go and see them but that really that really um set my mind on fire as a kid that's pretty awesome as we're like heading right to the end of the show as we're wrapping up just real quickly if there's anything that you guys would love to give as final pieces of parting advice to people to go check out yeah um, sure i mean uh, oh thank you yeah i mean uh, do you want to talk about this yeah so i think first of all i mean the, the big the big takeaway really is don't just look at your business and think oh well this is easy uh it's all running it's all doing okay uh and, and just accept that as a blanket statement across the industry when you sell stuff on the internet open rates on average are this unsubscribe rates are that yeah, and, that's what it is. And, and, and I'm and I'm on par with most other people, or I'm slightly above or slightly below other people. That's okay. Just don't accept that anymore because we weren't willing to do it. And therefore, don't just look at it and say, "Well, it's working, uh, sort of. Uh, it's okay. I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, change anything about it." Just be willing to step back and say, "You know, am I giving my audience the best, best possible solution?" Yeah, uh, that, that's the big thing, you know. And how can you make that really personal? Because these days, people watch. People don't watch television the way that they used to. They now pick and choose what they watch. They use all these on-demand services. Your Amazon Prime, your Netflix, and other services are available. Where you get to choose your own thing of what you're watching and when. And so that's what you have to do with your marketing. People no longer accept the path that you want them to force them down. Um, if and we've just uh, we'd like to extend an invite. If anybody would like to take out uh, a 14-day free trial completely free trial of response suite you can go and do that right now actually over at responsesuite.com and you can go and check it out and see how easy it is to build a survey right into every single one of your campaigns just no tech required it integrates and it just works for you yeah that's actually really cool because i was looking at that myself just uh, before you actually mentioned it i was like man i'm just gonna pick this up at some point in the next couple of days um but guys if you're already listening to this and you it makes sense it makes complete sense go check it out run your business properly and something I just want to touch upon that Rob said right there at the end, don't accept the norm. I mean, that's actually the reason why, and I want to like just share this very quick part and piece of advice for you as it ties in perfectly to what they've said. When I started out writing copy, I hated the fact that the industry standard was 3% on cold traffic. I hated that. I mean, to give you an idea of how much I hated that, I got to the point right now, I think I'm averaging about 15% on cold traffic on conversions for direct mail pieces. That's amazing. Like, like the only reason I'm able to do so much more than everyone else is because I didn't accept what was there. I mean, you're telling me that, Oh, you know, uh, 10% conversion rates are kind of unheard of or 38% conversion rates on warm traffic are unheard of. I'm like, yeah, I'll break that fucking record. Let's go with it. You know, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's the one minute mile thing. It's exactly yeah. what it is. It's, you know, before what's Roger Bannister, Bannister. before Roger Bannister, and the, was it not the four minute? A four-minute four minute mile. mile. Yeah. It wasn't, four minute mile. It wasn't Sonic four. the Hedgehog. He, need, he needs to get his act together. Bloody Roger Bannister. Four minutes. So he, yeah, he passed away recently. Oh, did he really? Yeah, yeah. He passed away very recently, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Yeah, I have to Google this, otherwise I'm just like... Before he did it, nobody had done it. Because, because therefore, nobody realized it was possible. He just decided to go, well, just because it hasn't been done before doesn't mean it's not possible. Yeah. And by the way, yeah, he died this year. Uh, he died in March this year, March 3rd. Well, there you go. Crazy stuff. But no, I was going to say, it's like the moment you break that barrier, it just opens so many things. And what you guys have done is just basically broken a new barrier for people to go, you don't have to do it this way. There is a better, easier way that serves more of your of your market. 
So guys, go check out Response Suite. Uh, go to responsesuite.com. Sign up for the free trial because I will guarantee you it is amazing. Um, I'm not saying that because, you know, I'm affiliated anyway whatsoever. It's just because I'm actually going to get the program myself. I'm going to go through the software and integrate it with my own campaigns and see what we can do. Um, Candy, it's been a pleasure having you on here. Rob, as always, it's a pleasure having you as well. Guys, thank you for being so open with me on the show, and I hope we can get you back on in future. That would be awesome. Thank you so much for having us. Bye. Bye.